welcome back to TransUnion's Data Strategies and Trust podcast series. I'm Kelly Fielding and I lead Consumer Interactive for TransUnion here in the UK. TransUnion are a global information and insights company and we use our data solutions and software to help businesses make accurate and reliable decisions. We also provide tools to organisations that want to support their customers with financial education to help them make smarter financial decisions. These podcasts are produced to help listeners better understand the evolving data and technology landscape. With me today is Ali Douglas, CEO of Token Money, and Sarah Taylor, an analytical consultant from TransUnion. Welcome to you both. Hi, Kelly. Hi. Let's start with some introductions then. Ali, can you tell us a bit more about yourself and what you do at Totally Money? Yes, I'm Ali Douglas. I'm a CEO at Totally Money. Uh, we are a credit app that helps our 5 million customers move their finances forward and open up a world of more financial choice. And Sarah, over to you. Hi, I'm Sarah Taylor and I'm an analytical consultant at TransUnion. My role is to bring analysis and insight into the heart of everything that we do within the consumer business for the benefit of our clients and ultimately consumers. And one of the most rewarding parts of my job is proving the value of credit monitoring for consumers and seeing them improve their financial health. Thanks, guys. The purpose of this podcast is to explore the issue of financial inclusion and how we can improve it in the UK. It's becoming increasingly important, I think, because we're coming out of this COVID pandemic and we're now faced with the cost of living crisis. And that's going to have a a huge impact on a lot of families in the UK. And it's really timely because we're recording this episode the morning after Liz Truss, our new Prime Minister, has announced a package of measures that are intended to soften the blow of rising energy prices for households and businesses. But actually, the speed that inflation and energy prices are rising still means there's going to be an increasing amount of households that will see budgets tighten and need financial support. So in this podcast, we're going to explore how lenders can improve financial inclusion through advanced data insights, building and developing trust with their customers, and delivering a really good customer experience. But I'd like to start with defining what we mean by financial inclusion and the associated terms that often come with it, the unserved, the underserved. Ali, I know this is something that uh, you're really passionate about at Totally Money. Can you explain what these terms mean to you and your team? Sure. Well, starting off with financial inclusion, which is obviously the big one that um, we all talk about a lot. And for us, what that means is that everyone should have the same access and opportunities to financial services, no matter who they are. Uh, So the system shouldn't benefit some people uh, and not other people. Um, We recently published a white paper with PwC uh, and we found that one in three people in the UK are underserved and are sort of being failed in some way by the way the industry currently works today. So the way that we think about it is, you know, financial services, it shouldn't be like buying a Rolex or a Mercedes or some kind of luxury item. Um, you know, where, you know, not everyone's going to own a Rolex or a Mercedes. Obviously, this is something much more important than that. This is uh, a day to day necessity and it should be for everyone. It's not a luxury. So that's how we think about financial inclusion. Uh, and then moving on to some of the other terms that get thrown around and they can mean different things to different people. But for us, unserved people are those who are just outside the mainstream entirely. Um, often they're people new to the country. Uh, who don't have any data on them, uh, or they're people who have uh, got themselves into some kind of extremely difficult financial position. Uh, And those people just uh, won't be able to access any mainstream products or services from the financial services industry and kind of exist outside the system with some very bad choices that exist out there. And then moving on to underserved, 
underserved is in this white paper that we just published with PwC, there's some technical definitions about what make you underserved. It could be that you have a thin file. It could be that you can't access multiple credit offers. Uh, but ultimately, it's a group of people who the mainstream consumer finance markets are not addressing uh, well enough. And we think there's an opportunity to do more for those people. Thanks, Ali. Sarah, is that reflective of how TransUnion views these groups? Yes, we definitely have similar definitions in terms of those groups. And to add to what Alistair said, TransUnion's Consumer Pulse Survey has consistently found that whilst over 70% of consumers think that having access to credit is important to help them achieve their financial goals, only about half actually think they've got sufficient access to credit products. And in the latest survey, 60% were confident that they would actually be approved for a lending product if they needed one. And we found this difference between importance and access to be most pronounced amongst the youngest consumers. And from Totally Money's research, we know that the underserved do tend to be younger. And that's not to say that all of these consumers would be defined as underserved as per the definition that Ali's given. But it does give us an idea of how consumers themselves actually feel about their financial inclusion. Thanks, Ali. You mentioned that Totally Money published a white paper with PwC, and I've read that. It's a really interesting read, and I'd, I would steer our listeners to, to find it on the web. You sized the financially underserved population in the UK, and remarkably, it was one in three adults that will struggle to access mainstream lenders. Could you summarise for us the key findings from your research and explain how Totally Money are using this information to better serve this demographic? Yes, the key finding for us was that in the last six years, unfortunately, that group of underserved people has grown from 16 million to 20 million people in the UK. And that's even before the full impact of the coronavirus crisis uh, and the cost of living crisis has been felt. So we obviously just come out of the kind of economic impact of coronavirus and then we're just going into a much more intense cost of living crisis period. Um, And we anticipate that that group could grow up to 29 million people uh, because we've identified a cohort of financially fragile people who are at risk of falling into uh, the underserved group with um, what's coming up um, that we already know of. And the main reasons that that group has grown uh, are, firstly, there was a lot of dislocation in the jobs market because of coronavirus, as we all know. And so many people, even though unemployment is supposedly very low on historical terms, types of work people are doing uh, are not necessarily the same as what they were before coronavirus. Uh, there's a much larger group, there's 29% more people now who have no credit files or thin credit files uh, to six years ago. Um, and then obviously the cost of living crisis and inflation. Uh, so inflation is forecast maybe in the 15 to 20% next year. Um, and that will hit low-income groups the hardest because inflation drivers are on things like energy and other essentials such as food. Uh, and that also will drive uh, an increase in the underserved group. Yeah, I think it's also really important to consider that within that underserved population, there are lots of different subgroups that will all have sort of different motivations and needs and that serving that underserved can't be a one-size-fits-all approach. So lenders really need to use data and insight to better understand who those consumers are and what products and services are the most suitable for them. Yeah, if I could just chip in on on that, Sarah, um, I would completely agree with that. And I think 
uh, one of the reasons why we're in this position is that it's much easier for the banks to work with consumers who they understand very well and all the data is there uh, and they have lots of historical knowledge about how those customers will behave. Uh, and it's much harder to go and do something new or to go and access a group um, that are not being served today. Um, and I think that's one of the things that we're calling for is that for the industry as a whole need to kind of wake up and try a little bit harder and think outside their comfort zone. Thanks, Ali. I'd like to move on now, if we can, to the cost of living crisis and how that's going to impact this underserved demographic, specifically its effect on their access to credit. What implications do you guys think that all of this has for the credit market, for for lenders and their relationships to consumers? So, I think affordability is is obviously the main the main thing that's being impacted by the cost of living crisis, um, and. It's obviously been incredibly difficult to understand whether um, any kind of loan is affordable or um, over the last few months. We've just had a whole summer of news about energy price caps uh, where we were expecting to pay £3,600 from October onwards. And then various predictions, which are normally pretty accurate, of plus £5,000 energy bills. And that's just on average uh, from middle of winter onwards. And that's kind of been dangled over everyone all summer. And I think that's created a lot of uncertainty and it's made it very difficult to understand, uh, whether a loan that you're taking out today could be affordable or not in the future because you didn't know what was going to happen to energy bills. Now, I guess the good news is that we now know that there's a, an actual cap of two and a half thousand pounds over the next two years and that the 400 pound kind of discount that Rishi Sunak announced earlier this year is on top of that. So you know, over the winter, you're going to be paying on average £2,100 if you're the typical household. So that at least is some certainty. Uh, but putting that into context, last winter, that energy cap was £1,300. So that's still a huge increase on a year ago, just because it's a huge government subsidy compared to what we were hearing over the summer doesn't mean that it's not going to impact people in quite a significant way. So I think the problem is is too big to ignore and there's going to have to be additional support from government and from private enterprise. And you mentioned before, Ali, about the financially fragile population. And, and that was something that really resonated with me from the Totally Money white paper in light of the cost of living crisis. I think you found there were about 9 million consumers who are not currently underserved, but at risk of falling into that group within the next few years. And, you know, I wonder if the cost of living crisis is going to mean that actually more of that at risk group become underserved, or if it's just going to accelerate um, the financial exclusion of those groups. And sort of linked into that at TransUnion, we've started to actually model the potential impact on consumers of the cost of living crisis, looking at the impact of inflation on essential spend, um, as well as the additional cost of borrowing due to the base rate rises. And we've done that based on almost what's happening now. So regardless of of, as we say, that help that's been announced. Um, we found that although there is a large population that will be able to cope with the additional financial pressures, there is also a significant group who are going to become financially stressed and another who will become very much at risk of being stressed. And it's going to be those consumers who are hit hard by both the inflation side and the base rate rises that become the most vulnerable and are going to need the most help and support. And, and Sarah, have you seen an increase in people falling into arrears over the recent months as a, as a consequence of the cost of living crisis? To date, we haven't actually seen an increase in delinquency, but a quarter of consumers in our latest pool survey did say that they would be unable to pay their current bills or loans in full. 
And the survey results indicate that consumers are trying to prioritise making their payments. So they're looking for different ways to help them pay. So they might be borrowing money from friends and family or reducing their non-essential spend, but ultimately trying to make sure that they continue to make their payments. In the latest survey, we found that about two-thirds of consumers claimed to have already made changes to their purchasing behaviour because of inflation, and 58% have cut back on discretionary spend. And for me, this really highlights the importance of credit education and awareness in supporting financial resilience. So consumers can use um, one of the tools that we offer within Credit View called Score Simulator to actually simulate what would happen to their credit score if they missed a payment. So they can start to really see the, the real impact of those potential actions. And in these challenging times, I think it's even more important that consumers ensure that all their data is up to date, it's accurate, they understand how it's used in financial decisions. And this will help make sure that consumers are given the best possible offers for the products that actually meet their needs. Absolutely, yeah. I think there's also a role for lenders and fintechs to optimise different parts of their customer journeys to serve this demographic better. And if I think about what delights me as an online retail customer, it's all about the slickest of journeys, the fewest clicks to buy, you know, the less information I have to enter, the better. And I'm, I'm really quick to abandon a basket if I can't, you know, if I've got to enter my card details rather than using PayPal. But actually, in the case of credit applications, I think the journeys have to be friction right, don't they? Not friction free. And the lender has a duty of care to make sure that the consumer isn't getting themselves into a, an unmanageable debt situation or, or indeed that the applications are fraudulent. So, Ali, what examples of great user experience have you seen that keeps consumers engaged whilst making sure that their best interests are at the core of the design? Well, I think despite sort of struggling to be delighted personally, I think there is a really good innovation that's been happening in the last uh, few years within our industry. And that, and that obviously is open banking. It's no secret. Uh, but I think now is the time for open banking. Uh, and that's because of its incredibly useful uh, use case when it comes to affordability checking. Uh, so going into the uh, cost of living crisis, affordability checking is becoming more and more important as part of decisioning and as part of making sure that lenders and everyone else in the market can fulfill their consumer duty to be fair to customers. And it's very difficult to do that manually. And you just think back to the past and it was having to kind of dig up pay slips and, and prove what your expenses were and all this kind of stuff. Uh, it was also difficult for lenders to necessarily trust a lot of that information. Uh, open banking allows the customer to do that very easily. Uh, they just have to log in at Totally Money. The way that we're thinking is affordability is getting much, much more important. Uh, that's why we're now going big on affordability. Um, we're also going to be using that data to improve the personalized action plans that we provide our customers. Um, so we have personalized action plans which figure out what the next best thing you can do to improve your credit eligibility is. At the moment, that mainly uses your credit report data. Uh, that'll be using open banking data. Uh, and we'll be over time weaving in all types of things, bills management, how to kind of plan when things are coming in and out of your account and so on. Sarah, what are you seeing? Um, Asda's recently launched its rewards app and I'm at the moment finding that really engaging. It is quite gamified. Um, you get given shopping missions, which feels a bit exciting. Um, and you build points that ultimately give you money off your shopping. And unlike a lot of people, I do actually prefer to go into the store to do my supermarket shop. And I like the fact that having that app sort of encourages me to have a look at some different products and try and work out how to get the best deal. And I think 
having things in there that feel relevant and achievable um, and save me money are the sorts of things that keep me keep me logging in. And I think we see a similar thing in other um, sectors where if, if something feels engaging and relevant to a consumer, then they're a lot more likely to, to come back and use it again. Yeah. Ali, what, what approach does Totally Money take to engineering your customer experience? I, I've heard you use the phrase before, using your data for them, not against them when talking about consumers, which I thought was a really powerful statement. Can you tell us a bit about how you're engineering your customer experience? Yeah, so we believe your financial data should work for you, not against you. And, and where we're going with that is that obviously uh, the context over the last few decades has been that there has been lots of data about you floating around out there and there wasn't the knowledge amongst consumers that that was happening. Uh, and because they didn't even know it was there, they certainly weren't trying to use that data to help them make better decisions. Instead, it was being used often to make decisions sometimes against your better interest. Um, so you know, things have changed uh, culturally and in terms of data. Uh, and these days, I think everyone acknowledges that uh, principles around transparency and having the right to understand what data um, is out there on you are kind of um, well established. And, and and so what we're all about is harnessing all that data, uh, bringing it together in our app, uh, and then doing our best job of kind of interpreting and turning that into something useful. So that's kind of like starting point for us uh, is harnessing your data for you so that you can uh, get ahead in life. Yeah, I think that transparency point is a really key one. And we're certainly seeing more and more of our lender partners offering credit information to their consumers as part of their digital journeys. And a lot of that is built off our, our product called Credit View. That's the credit monitoring platform that we offer to partners that they can give to their customers to educate them on, on their finances, how to help them become more financially literate, make better decisions. But it also helps our clients build trust and engagement with their customers. So, Sarah, tell us a little bit about how this tool can support the underserved population and financially vulnerable groups that we've been discussing today. I mean, as Ali mentioned before, um, consumers are becoming more thirsty for knowledge and credit education and awareness plays a really important role in financial inclusion. And so getting that customer experience right is key to consumers realising the benefits of credit monitoring tools. So Credit View helps consumers to navigate their financial health by providing support at each stage of the journey. And I often like to think about it like going into the Apple store. When you walk in there, there are a lot of products for you to have a look at and explore. And this is a bit like the Credit View dashboard showcasing all of the credit monitoring features. And then an associate will come and help you work out what products it is that you want um, based on what you need. And this is what the Credit View tools do. So, for example, our Credit Mentor tool helps you to understand where you currently are on your financial health journey and what actions you could take to actually improve your score. And I think that these tools are really important for driving engagement with credit monitoring because they're highly personalised and they provide clear, tangible actions that the consumer can take. But is it actually helping customers? Is it making a significant impact on, on what they can do? Yes, it, it definitely works. Our analysis has shown that credit monitoring and education really helps consumers to grow their credit profile and achieve their financial goals. So, for example, we found that credit monitoring consumers who were thin file when they registered for the service, so they only had one active financial account, were 2.7 times more likely to move to full file, so have multiple accounts, within the first six months of monitoring compared to the same uh, population within the UK credit active group. 
And um, self-monitoring consumers grew their balances across all of their accounts by just under 5% within the first six months of monitoring, compared with pretty much static growth for the UK credit active population. And typically, the most engaged users are those who are the most likely to improve their score and tend to show the highest levels of brand loyalty. Yeah, I think those stats are really compelling, aren't they? It's obviously, it obviously is working. So, so let's now look at the future of data and insight. Sarah, you work really closely with a lot of our clients. What kind of new solutions or approaches do you think we're likely to see in, in the near future? Yeah, so we were just talking earlier about data transparency, and I think that's a key um, trend that we're seeing. We're seeing this move towards our clients looking to share more and more information and data with their customers to help them better understand their financial health and the decisions that the lenders make. And traditionally, credit monitoring has been about credit scores, credit performance, and we can see consumers are starting to feel more comfortable with that. So our latest Consumer Pulse survey found that 48% of consumers monitor their credit at least monthly. But again, as Ali mentioned earlier, we know this is only half of the story and we're starting to see a lot of interest in sharing affordability data and insights with consumers too. So for consumers to have that full picture and understand the options available to them, they need to appreciate how their level of affordability impacts on their credit worthiness. You know, we've all heard the stories of consumers who've got great credit scores, but who've still been declined for credit. And we just want to try and raise awareness around that less visible part of the equation. And I think linked into that, again, is the increasing role of open banking. So it is a perfectly placed to capture the consumer's income and expenditure, which can then be combined with information from their credit report to give this view on affordability. And TransUnion's research, the Consumer Credit um, 2022 report, found that awareness of open banking is increasing. And although there is still a reluctance um, for some to share the information, when consumers are sharing it, they're having a really good experience. So I think getting the value exchange for consumers right is crucial. We need to be able to show that by sharing this information, we're going to be able to help them achieve their financial goals. And are there any gaps or, or blind spots in insight do you think that lenders are looking to address, Sarah? There are definitely um, blind spots within the underserved population. Um, for example, those with the thin files. This is another use case for open banking. We can use it to actually verify consumers who've got a limited credit history, helping them to access credit that they wouldn't have otherwise been able to. And in addition, we're seeing an increased interest in alternative data and how this can be used to fill in some of those gaps. So if we include data like rental payments, this can help build a consumer's credit profile. It gives them more opportunities to participate in the lending market and improves lenders' abilities to make appropriate lending decisions. And although we need to be mindful of those segments of society who we know are less digitally savvy, ultimately all of these um, developments support greater financial inclusion. Ali, do you think there's anything that other industries could learn from the way that the lending industry uses data insight to support customers? Well, I think that the way the industry is now responding to the latest technological uh, changes is something we can learn from, which is that, uh, you know, there are new people coming into industry, challenging the incumbents. The incumbents haven't just um, sat there and, and kind of kept doing what they've, they've done for years. Uh, there is a lot of innovation uh, and it is quite exciting to see how things are moving. So um, I think clearly it's an industry which is strong with data, but... Uh, I guess what I'd like to see is, is that that uh, more often falls on the side of the consumer in terms of helping them. 
Yeah, agreed. It's definitely great to be able to play a part in helping people make smarter financial decisions. This has been really interesting stuff, guys, but unfortunately we are out of time. So I would just like to say a huge thank you to you both for appearing on this podcast and sharing your insights and perspectives. To wrap up, could I ask you both for the one big thing you would like our listeners to leave with? I'm a big fan of repetition. So uh, your financial data should work for you, not against you. Um, and also this idea that everyone should have access to the best technology. Uh, technology uh, should be for the benefit of kind of mankind. Uh, I think particularly within fintech, uh, you get a lot of very clever people going into fintech uh, and then a lot of that effort is spent on producing solutions that only benefit a very niche audience, be that high net worth, crypto, these types of things. Uh, and what I would like to see is all the brightest minds and all the best technology being used to help the widest group of people possible. Um, and that's why I think our focus on the underserved is so important. So for me, the key takeaway is the role that credit monitoring plays in supporting financial inclusion and well-being. And as we're heading towards a recession, it's more important than ever that consumers are aware of their financial arrangements and can clearly identify opportunities to either maintain or improve their financial health. Thanks, Sarah. Thank you both again. And thank you to all our listeners for listening. If you'd like to know more about the work that TransUnion or Totally Money do, please go to our websites. That would be transunion.co.uk, where you'll find lots of information and stats that we've shared today on consumer behavior, or totallymoney.com, where you can find a link to the financially underserved white paper that we've discussed. Feel free to reach out to me, Ali or Sarah, directly on LinkedIn if you'd like to talk further. And as a consumer, I would recommend that you download the Totally Money app. Goodbye for now. This podcast was produced by TransUnion, a global insights and analytics company. The views expressed in this podcast are not necessarily those of TransUnion, and TransUnion is not providing any financial, economic, legal, accounting, or tax advice or recommendations in this podcast. Thank you.